Good morning, Mayberry. We aren't going to talk about the rebranding and conflation of slavery, fallout, general racism, and class war. We aren't going to talk about PETA activists de-anthropomorphizing black people to make their points right now. We don't have time. We're going to talk about whatever I edit in next. Because I'm the producer, I'm the host, and I made this music. I'm Shift Orion, and I'm not waiting on Superman. Well, hey, y'all. I had a plan to release season two today. But what I'm going to do today is I'm going to tell you a story. And that story is about how I, I'm a really good storyteller, right? And I'm such a good storyteller that for the beginning part of my life, I told myself the story that I was not a storyteller. And I told it, I told it so convincingly to myself that I believed it. And then when I was 19, I was tasked with babysitting a four and seven year old that were incredibly good at convincing me to do things that I did not generally do. Um, for example, allowing them to watch an R-rated movie that was in their, in their library that they, they absolutely had a fully compelling argument and they generally did not lie. And if they did, they gave it up pretty quickly on, you know, they just didn't, they didn't have the energy for that shit when there was better things to do. There were kids like that. And so, the, you know, it was one particular movie that what they told me was there was one part in it. They knew why it was rated R and how long the shot was that it was rated R for. And it was just like this one visual moment. And it was it was nudity, but it was just a butt. Like it was just a, a man butt from behind for like 15 seconds. It was Tank Girl. They were allowed to watch Tank Girl at four and seven. OK, so yeah. And I had never seen it before. And so they were convincing me. They wanted me to see it because I had never seen it and they wanted to watch it because they wanted to watch it. And so, right, okay. So these children also convinced me to tell stories to them. And I made up the first universe that I had ever made up outside of the privacy of my own journals and bedroom and head where I thought I was just daydreaming and that nobody would ever give a shit about the way that I conjure up concept and yada yada so I'm sitting there with these kids and I start conjuring up these stories and at that point in time at 19 years old uh, I was I was just starting to explore the expansive capacities of mushrooms and uh, I did not know this at the time, but I had begun a process of using them to heal my brain a lot, actually. Um, they were the first thing I discovered that treated my depression with any effective longevity. So I had just started taking mushrooms, and so I was having these experiences, processing them in the aftermath, and then in the same period of time had days where I was babysitting these kids. So the worlds that I came up with were very critical. And these kids, I could just tell they were dealing with a lot of real world stuff in their life. They seemed mature enough to handle thought provoking, situational, socially conflicting, morally challenging content. And so I challenged them at that level. And they fucking loved it, they ate it up. And the worlds I created in this universe is a mystical universe where there's always a magical element of something in every story. And they're all disjointed, this anthology that I, I didn't know the words for what I was even doing at the time, but I basically was telling them an anthology that had a common thread 
narrative that would not reveal itself unless the whole thing was kind of played out different ways over and I didn't know what the whole thing even was. I babysat these children when they were four and seven and then we did not see each other for about 12 years and then when they were 17 and 19, we re-encountered each other and they remembered my fucking stories and they were like, what happens? You know, like what, we've been thinking about this for years, what happens? And I was like, oh shit. And I was telling, I, the, I was telling, I was telling them I wasn't a storyteller. I was like, I don't make music anymore. They were asking about my music. They were asking about all these creative things that I was doing. And I was like, I don't do any of that anymore. And they were like, what are you, you know, just what are you talking about? So I ended up that year, that family and their social scene revived my, my muse, my creative fountain, my source. Uh, I started... It was funny because all I had to do was turn and drink from the shit. It was, it was geysering the whole time, but I deprived myself, as I tend to do with things. Uh, and not even really intentionally, I'm just looking in a different direction, processing something fucking else or something. So, I got to develop some new stories that year that I'm still working on because I've had some tumult and they've had to backburn and it's hard to revive a project once you lose momentum on it. The thing about it, uh, with these stories that I started talking about when I reconnected with these kids, um, they were good. Like, they are good. They're really good. And they came from, like, ideas that were complex just it's like it was multiple people just like our brains like saturated in oxytocin and dopamine and serotonin for, like naturally though you know like really just organically in the vibe chilling making each other laugh processing trauma and then a concept erupts and then we started fleshing it out and and pulling it like taffy and then oh shit that just turned into something else and something else. and it's crazy because you'll start with like a small little element and then the more you kind of work with it, the more it grows. Uh, so where I want to jump to now is that year also, those kids got me playing music again, singing, writing. Writing music was a, that was a weird one to get back into because it was when my engagement with that social scene broke was when I began writing songs again. And it was something that they had wanted to see from me the whole time we were hanging out. We, we were hanging out for about a year. And so when that broke off, I began to really start thinking about how powerful my storytelling capacity is, my power to create narrative, to weave lyric. And I was kind of awestruck by it, like it was overwhelming because I had set it aside and really been telling myself it wasn't real. And then when I just kind of decided to start employing it, what came out of me was just so overwhelming and true. So, Skipping ahead, we're jumping ahead. Now we're at 2020. And earlier this year, when the pandemic began and people were going outside to whoop and holler at 8 p.m., my neighbor's cat ran away. And the next day, she came looking for the cat, asked me if I would help look for the cat, look around the property, if there was any holes in the house or, you know, there's a little shed out back. There's places it could be. And, and of course, and I did. Um, and, and a few times, because um, I, I was bummed about it. But I was also pretty sure we live in the woods and there's a lot of coyotes around here. And, uh, you know, when she came over looking for the cat, she, she talked to me about, you know, she's like, I think a lot of people kind of don't really care, but I'm, I'm very concerned and 
it broke her heart. Like it was her cat. That's her. That's her buddy. That's her person. And so, yeah, it was like every, every night for like three months, all the time. It was in the morning when the cat was supposed to feed, in the evening when the cat was supposed to feed, intermittently throughout the day, and then also at like one o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, like five, six, seven, like all kinds of hours. She would go outside and ring this bell and just calling for the cat. Uh, and it was fucking heartbreaking. And I would sit here in my house and I'd be thinking, like, I wonder if, like, I like I should go up there. Like, it'd be cool. Like, we're both lonely and we're so close to each other. And, like, I wonder if she'd be down to, like, fucking play Scrabble or some shit, you know? Like, I just... But then also the pandemic was very questionable at the time. We didn't have a lot of information. And hanging out with strangers was, like, no-go for me. I got reasons to need to be extra. So I couldn't take that risk. And it turned into like a number of different things internally, but it was a, it was a, like a combination of shame and resentment. It internally narrated itself to me as negative self-talk about my relationship with neighbors, my relationship with community, my potential for connection. So yeah, that was again at the beginning of the pandemic when people went outside and started cheering and hollering and whooping and howling at eight o'clock was when the cat went missing and it went on for months. And then she, she tapered off and it became more infrequent and then it stopped. So yeah, it was just like this weird thing to kind of be like so close to somebody and so far from them and feel caught. Like I wanted to comfort her and I knew that she would probably be a comforting vibe, but I'm very anxious about people. I'm always worried that somebody's going to be that they're going to see something about my aesthetic or a gesture, a, a, a way that I move or speak or a, a, a hesitation where I'm thinking for too long, speaking too quickly and like, you know, or like, not you know, not being in alignment with the expected script because not that I'm off topic, but I'm off tone, you know, I'm off key with the harmonic that they want to have about the topic. Uh, and so I have, yeah, I just have a lot of anxiety that can come up if I'm not, if I'm not mindful about how I value myself and those around me. Um, and even sometimes if I am mindful, it comes up for different reasons. So today I got a knock on my door and I went to answer it and looked out the window and it's my neighbor and she's wearing a mask and holding a little gift. And we don't see each other often. Occasionally, we do. But it's, it's in passing, it's fleeting. And so I was, I was surprised to see her and I was happy to see her. I'm usually very much a call to come, don't come to call kind of motherfucker. But it made my heart warm to see her when I looked out the window. And that's extraordinary. So I put on my mask real quick and I open the door, I go outside. Get, she's got chocolates for me. And... It's wrapped up real nice. It's got this cute little ribbon on it. And she was just cautious about that. It's like she was like, where do you want me to set it? And she almost put it on my on my bumper, but my bumper's slightly tilted and she didn't want it to fall on the ground. She was just, It was so thoughtful. Everything she did was thoughtful. A little over the top, but such a great way to be over the top. You know what I mean? Like it's like such a perfect, like if you're going to be over the top, be over the top about being compassionate. That's like, and by compassionate, there's an episode coming where I'm going to be fleshing out words. We're going to talk, we're going to do a whole lexicon 
just get a vocab list like moving and it's not to define things necessarily. I will let you know where I have definition, but I am open to being challenged about any of these things if people have a real legitimate thing they want to bring and volley that around. So she puts the chocolates on, on my fence and we, we, she was about to leave real quick. She was going to get out of my space. And I was actually kind of like, well, let's chat for a sec. You know, I got, had that vibe and she stayed, you know, we just talked for a while and she ended up asking me if I was going to be connecting with any family. And I first said no. And then I thought, well, I'll probably call my grandmother and my aunts. And that's about it. You know, I didn't, she didn't need me to get into that I'm estranged from my religiously abusive immediate family that still seems to employ the tenets of shunning and narrative hijacking and gaslighting in order to focus on the whistleblower, focus on the table flipper, you know, like that's that's the real reason is that I don't get down with that vibe of comfort in toxic cycles. And I'm usually the one to say, we could all personally develop better out of this and people don't like that challenge. That's the summation of all of it. If I was to concentrate with the repeated cycle that I go through over and over again. So she didn't need to probe about that. It was a satisfactory answer. And she was totally willing for me. Like the conversation was prime for me to say, I find holidays pretty distasteful. I haven't really celebrated them much for years and I've been weaning myself out of them. I generally spend holidays alone, like kind of meditating and uh, usually fasting because I don't have access to resources because it's a holiday or, you know, things are harder to come by and people are getting more compressed. And so she just totally accepted that answer. That was great. And uh, she was talking about going for a walk with somebody, a friend of hers, who's also very hyper aware, um, mentioned that she'd been at the store and caught herself reaching for something too close to somebody and apologized. And the woman's response was, oh, I'm not like that. Don't worry about it. And I was like, well, that makes it more risky for you. That probably made you more anxious. And she kind of nodded, you know, I was like, yeah, like that's, it was, it was a lot of just mellow chit chat that was nice. I am deprived of small talk to the point that I got some and it was great. I didn't even know I was hungry for it for fuck's sake, man. And it wasn't really small talk because nothing's small these days. Everything's kind of a big deal, even reaching for something in the grocery store. A lot of big stuff going on in all of our small day-to-day operations. So yeah, I kind of, I, I blurted out, I was like, maybe we could go for a walk sometime because I'm real lonely over here. And like, I don't know. And she was kind of like, oh, and she had my phone number before because we were texting about the cat, but it had been so long that she couldn't find it. And I, I couldn't find hers either. So we swapped numbers again and she walked away and I grabbed my little box and I went in the house and I set it down, smiling to myself. And I thought, I thought to myself, my goodness, I mean, she just like she just was standing in front of my door. That means that that means that before she was in front of my door, when I knew where she was and that she was here for me, that means that she walked all the way down from her house. And that was like time that she was doing something for me that I didn't even know that she was doing it. And I was sitting, I don't know what I was on one about. I was probably having a fine time. And that I was, I was, I was having a good conversation on the phone with a comrade and I had to put it on pause to step outside with her. But my general narrative about community certainly like began unraveling itself. She like pulled a thread on, on a, a hair shirt of lies that I've been wearing for years years and years and years. And it's because of being alienated. I've been shunned out of multiple communities. It's almost like once it happened so extraordinarily with my immediate intimate 
relationships, my whole family and social scene, my immediate family, and then this cult that I was in. It's almost like it was a soft shunning to some degrees because it wasn't like I was completely cut off. It was just that they decided that I was a different person than I was and they treated me accordingly. And then eventually it became a physical overall overt shunning, but it took a long time to unravel. And a shunning, it's not like you never will talk ever again, but when you do talk, it's just to remind you that you're not in the fold anymore. And they'll let you close to the fold, but not all the way in. And so with people who leave religious communities, but still kind of employ those tenants when they're feeling like they need to draw a hard line about something or like they need to set a boundary about something in an authoritative fashion, they'll revert to the practices within that religion, the same way people will pray when they're in a desperate state. It's like the emotional escalation pushes them to the bounds of what they have access to, to for processing. And it's easy to grab this shit because of the way it's programmed. So it's informed the way that I approach my concept on community and people in my life because everyone that I loved so deeply and who so deeply loved me, and it wasn't just my family. It was friends that believed the narrative that my family wove. It was, it's like the different ways that family structures in a social dynamic break apart and overlap the Venn diagramming of how influence moves. Like, uh, it fucked me up. Like, it just did. And that's, that's where I'll kind of leave that as framework. What I just, what I just really want to focus on, like really, like just elucidating on to like exhausting comprehension is like the way that I realized what I realized after. Like I already have been like, I have a lot of faith. And I was just talking about this. I have to have faith in white people. I just have to. Cause what are we going to do if we can't? You know, and I'm, I live in a white community. I live, it's, like I will let you know if somebody's not white because that's just the statistical, you know, it's just, and I shouldn't, I should always qualify whiteness where whiteness is but yeah sometimes I fucking forget because it's all it's everything and then occasionally it's not <laughs> um you know whatever uh but yeah so um yeah I just realized that like not only did she walk all the way down here when I didn't even know that she was doing something for me she had the idea at some point like it started days ago weeks ago how long has she been thinking about me how long has she wanted and what she said was I know this seems like it's for the holidays, but it's not. It's because you helped me look for my cat and that really meant something to me. And she talked about the meaning of community very briefly, just enough that she, <laughs> the timing, man, like the end of this year, I needed this right now. Like she set the course for the next couple of days. Like I, I while I don't holiday, it can be sad for me. Like I can have a lot, cause I can feel the vibe of other people enjoying each other, celebrating each other, embracing each other. And uh, this year, there's less of that and more of that. I don't know if y'all heard this. TSA had more heads through it this year than any other year previously ever before ever. They peaked in 2020. They peaked last year too, but they peaked again in 2020. It wasn't less people traveling this year. It's more people traveling this year. Be careful the next few weeks. COVID's gonna spread again. Just be careful. Try to troubleshoot your life before you have a problem. That's all I'm gonna say. Now what I wanna say is that I really, it's like I started really thinking critically about every moment. And then she told me too, she was like, when I said that I find holidays distasteful, she said, well, I used to be a florist and I understand, but then also I have this like drive to, you know, I like wrapping things in ribbon and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? It was like a cute little 
yeah, of course, you know, and that's part of my thing is I'm like, we got to find ways to celebrate each other without like we got to she stood six feet away from me and we it, she had her little mask. on. I had my little mask on. We had our little masks on like it was all she and she we talked about our safety protocols just enough to feel safe. And that you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like compassion exists and thoughtful people exist and like community. The idea of unity, a lot of people think they can kind of run around the world and be like, I'm a solid good person because the idea of unity is great to me. But if you don't come up with ways to communicate that tangibly and just talking about it isn't it. Like talking about unity isn't unity. You know what I'm saying? And unity is transient. I don't think we need, Tiana in a previous episode was talking about unity as being a potential lead to conformity and how that creates a, that creates a track to essentially fascist uh, fascist esque vibes at least. So there's there's different nuances to hold in considering all this stuff, but the notion that we're all here together and to what degrees do we oblige ourselves? You know, to what degrees do we consider ourselves? responsible to love each other in a way that that language actually translates into the person we are loving. In what ways are we tasked with being responsible for considering that our relationships are not our relationships, they are another person that is experiencing us and we are experiencing them. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean there? That little difference? It's like where you throw your weight. You don't even move your feet. So I don't know. I'm a little weird today. I'm a little odd, but I'm I'm doing this because I want to get an episode out on schedule. And so you're getting yet another special bonus episode. It's a special time of year and you're going to get season two next Sunday. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the story that I'm telling myself right now that this podcast is the first product of my production house. It's not the first product, actually. Once I started writing the business plan, I started putting other things in there. I was like, oh, there's that project I started a couple of months ago that's a part of this too, and there's this and there's that. And then I had a bunch of epiphanies reading back through what I wrote in sections as a congruent document. This has already been going. I'm hell-bent on learning how to use the master's tools to dismantle the master's house. And if I'm wrong about it being possible, Audrey Lord's gonna have to come up and drag me out herself. You know what I'm saying? Like this, rise up, auntie, and and knock me off of my high horse because I'm on one about this shit. I genuinely believe that the only way to make movement in this world is to keep pushing resources into the places that we need them to be. Right? We got to create and establish roads for ourselves in the narrative structure of things and that is through being and so if we just shop at their places and don't create places to shop which side of the register do you want to be on and then do you want to be at the register or do you want to be like you know what i'm saying like there's like other places other ways to consider your life one way or another transaction is occurring and so even as an anti-capitalist-minded person, I got to consider, what does that even mean? When one can consider the notion of financial capital, social capital, all kinds of like resource capital can be broken down into different ways of looking at things. 
And so when you consider that, it's just dynamic principles to look at. You know what I'm saying? It's not necessarily just because currency is present doesn't mean that capitalism has to be, right? Just because capital is there doesn't mean that capitalism has to be there. And while I'm not a capitalist, I started asking myself, am I an anti-capitalist? Maybe I need to try to be a capital alchemist. Because the thing is, the worship of something is really different from the existence of something. So I'm gonna stop yip-yapping. I've said enough shit to y'all. I have said enough words for this little special episode that was literally gonna be a 10 minute story about my neighbor. And then I was like, let me talk about these children first and how I am a storyteller that is so good at telling stories that I can literally convince myself that I am not this magical. Now, what stories are you telling yourself that are keeping you from doing your best work as the pressure is really building and everything is getting hotter and heavier? What slight change in positionality? Where could you shuffle your feet or just change your weight without even moving where your feet are planted? What small change could you make in your narrative of what you're telling yourself about yourself and the people around you that might really change everything that you're capable of doing to get what you want in the world actually fucking manifested? Nobody ever ats me when I say at me, but I really do want answers to that. If people want to talk about it, I'm here for it. Shucks, maybe I need to open up Facebook comments. Gosh. Anyway, y'all keep your chins up. We are in deep winter 2020, approaching fast upon 2020's first birthday. And the anniversary of Frankie Mead's murder. And if you don't know who Frankie Mead is, I mean, I'm not going to help you with it right now. I've talked about him enough in this podcast. I'm looking at his picture right now. I'll talk about him again, but not tonight. Not tonight. Just holding space for Frankie in my heart and wondering why black lives didn't seem to matter before the movement came up. And also, if they really actually matter, if we don't care about the ones that didn't get justice before the movement started. So, we'd like to thank our patrons on Patreon and everyone who's bought our merchandise. Find the links to all that stuff and our social links on goodmorningmayberry.com. We've got closed captioned episodes on YouTube. Subscribe, listen, and rate us on all the podcast spots. If you're wondering who we are, we is me and my demons. And you can join the Legion by following our Tumblr, Twitter, or Instagram, jumping on the Patreon, or just buying one of our shirts and wearing that around, drinking the tears of whoever you like the least uh, out of one of our mugs, and uh, coming back and checking out the next episode. I'm Shift, and always remember to never forget, we make this whole thing up every day with everything we choose to do. This recording took place December 24th, 2020.